You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. A lot has happened over this time, yet the same, the same good words from Jesus hang in the balance of we're, we're into these, these spaces and into neighborhoods and into time where everything isn't going with the flow of God, but there are other forces that are asking for our attention, other forces that are asking for our um, cooperation. And so often, without even thinking, we go along with the program. We look, go along with the program of domination. If we don't see the people who are being dominated, if we don't even know who they are, if we don't understand how so much of that, that dominant story even reduces and dominates our own hearts, until we see the, especially the, the folks at the margins as not as the, the, those who got left out from this great progress of where we're going, but they are where Jesus continues to be re- turning us, turning us back to uh, reinvestment in, in the earth, the reinvestment in the, the people, the brokenhearted people, the people on the edges of our society. So even though this neighborhood in 15 years has changed a lot, the same stuff applies. Matthew 25 or Luke 19, Jesus <clears throat> talks about this, this parable that um, gets grossly uh, misinterpreted for the purposes of reinforcing this like Protestant work ethic where you, where you have like the boss giving you demands and then you grind and then you give results for the boss and get rewarded. That kind of logic makes total sense to Protestant capitalism. When we start applying that framework, which is the framework for most of our jobs, the framework for most of our even like social organizing and things like that to some of some of us this was our childhood when we put that on Jesus Jesus looks like he could be wearing a three-piece suit hanging out making some some deals late at night over Skype with Wall Street and whatnot and just to be clear I don't think Jesus rolls with Wall Street I don't think that's where that's where that's where the power base is for the kingdom of heaven I don't think that's what, that's what Jesus is trying to do. Now, all those factors are around, right? And it's kind of coming in and whoosh, whooshing around, getting people out of stuff, crashing people back into it, re, reassembling the pieces. But, like, it's not going along with the program. So, so when Jesus starts talking about this boss, we, in a parable, it's so easy for our Christian ears to assume the boss in the parable is God. And there are a few where I think Jesus is actually saying deliberately, there's a boss that you're listening to and you need to stop listening. You need to stop obeying. You need to learn how to obey God, but learn how to disobey gods. Learn how to disobey the masters. Stop going along with the program and, and reawaken what you've been given into this reinvestment. So you know the, the parable of the bags of gold. This is a better way to put it. People, people take it to... Um, King James used the word talents. You're familiar with that expression? It's an expression for a 200-pound bag of gold, approximately. 
a ridiculous amount of wealth that nobody that Jesus was telling this parable to had probably ever seen, let alone held with some kind of, like they're supposed to carry it around and protect it or do something with it. It's an exorbitant amount of wealth. You're starting to talk about like, think about absorb, you know, what is really expensive. What are some things that you think of that like, yeah, that's a lot of money? A mansion, that's a lot of money. Teslas are a lot of money. That's the, the sweet whip. <laughs> How about bigger? Get bigger for a second. You know some even bigger numbers that are just ludicrous to you. Disney. Yeah, Disney's annual income. The islands? Oh, yeah, if you buy an island, yeah, it's huge. Privatization, exactly. That's, that's the path, right? What's expensive? I think the United States national debt it's a pretty exorbitant amount. So is the military spending. You know, where it just gets into like, like, do we really just say the word $600 billion for war? That's disgusting. But a lot of us, you know, if you break it down in a couple hundreds of billions, we start to just be like, what are we going to do about it? And these are, these are the folks Jesus is talking to, not to the people who have islands and mansions and the whatnot. So anyway, he says, at this time... Let's go. Again, it will be like a young man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted his wealth to them. Now this young man, just so you know, is friggin' loaded. Okay? This isn't like the, the young man who's just about to strike off. Nah. This is in generational wealth. This is systems of privilege, systems of sustaining wealth. Because this young man, to one... He, to his servants, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to their ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five bags of gold went once and put his money to work, gained five bags more. The old, the way that, that you know, supposed to do it. Doubled five, pretty good. And then the, also the one with two bags of gold earned two more bags of gold. Also totally respectful, right? Way to go, way to use the, the money, way to shake your money maker or whatever, shake what God gave you. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. This is another, this is big time. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Come share the comfort in protecting my wealth. Come share in the privilege of protecting White supremacy. Come and enjoy in the, the, the rich excellence of the deep misogyny of the people, of the dominant culture of this place. Come and be received into it. Have your life make some sense according to dominant logic. The man with two bags also said, Master, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold, so you have gained the other two more. This is like a joke, right? The second one, you kind of get where this is going towards the punchline. The man who had received... You know, come share your master's happiness. And then here's the third. The man who had received one bag of gold came, Master, I knew 
think about whether this servant is describing God to you in, your, in a healthy God image or if he's describing like the crooked boss that we've all had. I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, at least received it back with interest. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to one who has ten bags. For those who have will be given more. They will have an abundance. And as for those who do not have, even what they do have will be taken away from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. People told me to work hard or else you're going to be in this scary place. Work hard with faith. Read the Bible every day. Pray every day or else you end up in this scary place. The place where there's suffering. And the amount of people who live in the weeping and gnashing of teeth have been speaking ever since. They're saying there is a presence here that is more powerful than any economic power. There's a presence in that place of weeping, in that sorrow, and in that brokenheartedness. There is a joy and a hope present that can defeat this whole beast. And that was the hope even when the, they were doing this with the, the Roman armies. You think that when the Christians were telling each other about this, they were like, yeah, you know what? We should really make more money for Rome so we don't get in trouble. They were like, we are the trouble. We identify with those people on the edges. That's where we live. That's where we spend our time and our money because this system, the progress system, is not good for us. and It's not good for 99% of the world. Back 15 years ago, okay? There's more happy thoughts. Memory lane. Let's take a stroll down memory lane, shall we? We found this building because my buddy Zane worked at New Kensington CDC and was like, hey, there's a big building on Frankfurt Ave that's not listed, but if you want to see it, I can, I can get a hold of the owner. You remember us going and seeing this building? And it was like, you know, down here was a dental office with like 17 little rooms and little sinks. Upstairs, there was like a, some kind of martial arts dojo, and then a room that was filled with tubes, the kind of tubes that you put in TVs and radios, and some of us were convinced that some of those tubes, of which there literally were thousands of tubes in this pile, people were convinced that some of them were worth money. Some of them tubes are going to be worth at least $10 each. So some people, we said, go ahead and pick through them if you think you can find something. But whoever put this hoard here thought they were going to do that too and didn't move the hoard very much. But we had a, we had, you know, the building turned out that the, the really nice dentist was willing to part with this building because his wife had been praying that God would do something with it. So while they moved their dentist practice out to Conshohocken, he said, I'll give it to you for what we paid for it in the 80s, $50,000. So just think about what you know about real estate for a second, even in this neighborhood. And like even back then, man, 50 grand, it was, it was like, whoa, that's a deal. 
So then we set off to do this gnarly, gnarly rehab where we had over 100 volunteers a week for the entire fall. We had people working multiple, through our whole church, multiple days a week doing demolition, doing running wires through, you know, the studs on the wall, doing amazing things with the hope of having the congregation meet upstairs and having the Circle Thrift, our first foray into the MCC thrift store plan. And it was beautiful. The first Sunday we met down here in January of 04 with no heat. There were these propane tanks that had the open flames on top. You've seen them before, right? One time during the construction, my darling wife, who does enjoy wearing my jackets and things like that from time to time, to my chagrin, was wearing one of my this down vests. You know, it had like feathers in it and stuff from the thrift store that I found. Went a little bit too close to that flame and burned the whole back of it. I still have never found, it's like my Marty McFly vest, you know, and I still, I still don't have a good one to replace it. But we did it, and we, we tried it out. In April, we moved upstairs. Circle Thrift began. The Rocket Cat opened the same time. Remember the Rocket Cat? I remember the Rocket Cat fondly now. And I remember it as, like, it eventually is going to get going again. Like, that's, that's the plan. That's what, that's what these good folks are trying to do. But, like, it was a staple. The, the, the Rocket Cat and Circle Thrift get going together. Multiplication ensued. They're not going according to the, to the plans, but going with this plan that God had given us to multiply cells for people to be invited into this community on mission together. We needed a second Sunday meeting. Then we started doing things like the free baby goods exchange. You know, there was a time where they didn't exist. And then now it's like so normal for a circle of hope. Every month we're pounding these things out. We started the, walking the Stations of the Cross through residential neighborhoods. The, neighborhood, the urban farm team began. We started the Frankfurt Ave Garden in 2004, Frankfurt and Huntington, that, that, that sweet, sweet space that is constantly under threat. We started doing a lot of uh, shows and art, and eventually we grew, outgrew upstairs and then bought 2233 Frankfurt, where Circle Thrift has moved. And then we did this human chain in, was it like 2008, 2009, something like that? These numbers, are they jogging anything for you? You ever see the YouTube video of the human chain? It's pretty funky. It's pretty fun. Seeing all these people, like, what are you doing? We're moving a thrift store down the street. It was a, it was a beautiful thing, a few, few hundred people helping out. And then, you know, when we were, we were at this... <clears throat> This beautiful size of people trying to like just figure out what this, what this word from Jesus meant for us. You know, there's about 300 of us and 25 cells. I'm starting to think, where, where is this going next? And again, it was multiplication. We, we raised up an apprentice pastor and sent them out to start a new meeting that, is, that right now is on North Broad. The Heart Lane Community Farm and some other smaller farms branched out. The debt annihilation team started where people were working together to get out of consumer debt. Audio art began to try to collect and develop some this this good instinct that we have for writing new songs, new worship music. Church planters, 
and worship leaders have been influenced by time spent with us, multiple, you know, in dozens of churches across the, the U.S., Canada, and even into Europe. When we get to this, I want to read just a, a little bit here of what one of my mentors, Ched Myers, wrote about this parable because he says it so well. And if I haven't hit so heavy-handed with what I think Jesus is saying to us, try hearing Ched say it. This parable reads much more coherently as a cautionary tale about the world controlled by great householders. Jesus may have even been spinning a thinly veiled autobiographical tale here, for he too will shortly stand before the powers to speak truth and to take the consequences. Read it in a divine endorsement of mercenary economics and the inevitable polarization of wealth is to miss the point completely and to perpetuate both dysfunctional theology and complicit economics in our churches. We meet Christ in places of pain and marginality, the outer darkness. The whistleblower's punishment kicks him out of the rich man's system, but brings him closer to the true Lord who dwells with the poor and the oppressed. There's so much about oppression that is beyond our control. And our personal attitudes seem like they don't matter that much in terms of changing those structures. But there are things that you have been given. And some of it you've been given by God and others you've been given by the master. And we can make choices about it, particularly economic choices. My encouragement to you is divest. Divest from the dominant narrative that is harming us, the dominant narrative that is harming creation, that is putting price tags on the earth, that is keeping people aside and is creating problems in neighborhoods that we, we can see all too well right now in Kensington. Economically support the earth. Burying the money in the earth to be able to give some sense of it back Putting it in the earth. You know, Jess Schaffner and Josh Mintz, starting the Heart Lane Community Farm, is, have you been there before at K&A? If it's not one of the most wonderful places in our region, then I won't finish that sentence. But it, it, let me just state, it is one of the most wonderful places. Jess and Josh are incredible people. The, the way that land is shifting so many urban farmers in Philadelphia, you know what, know what we do? For our, the time that we would like to be farming, we're organizing and writing emails to secure land that there are farms on because the powers of profit are always moving along. Back you know, 15 years ago, those lots on Frankfurt Ave were, were worth about $10,000 each. There's five of them. 50 grand is still a lot of money even to, to throw down then. Now, each of those lots is worth 120. So you start to put a package together for five lots, it's more than we can afford. So logically, it should go to the developer, right? Somebody who could pay the amount of its assessed value and put some piece of property there that they make a profit on. So somebody else could live there and eventually maybe resell it to make a profit on and the cycles of profit continue. Or we intervene now with our partnering organizations, which there are many that want to make this work. 
and the, PR, the Philadelphia Redevelopment Authority, New Kensington CDC, East Kensington Neighbors Association, all these groups are trying to help make this work to preserve this green space. And you know one of the things that they ask is? Who's hanging out working it? It looks like there's only three or four people a week volunteering. And I think that's where we come in. We're about to have a surge of energy over these next couple months around here. That surge of energy, we may discern that we have too many things going on and we gotta let that garden go that's been there for 15 years. What I would implore you is let's keep that space generative. Let's keep that space for pollinators. Let's keep that space for people to, to learn about how to cultivate food, to help us move a little bit closer to food systems that we know are more just, to food systems that we know are more healthy. The way that we share money, divesting from the dominant struggle is to put it out of your, not just the government's hands or the corporation's hands, although certainly we have to work on those practices, but the real enemy is the idea that you're an individual. The idea that your money is just yours and you need to figure out what to do with it. We have to defeat that idea. So when we start investing in a common fund together, it's not just, you know, you're sprinkling in a couple of bucks if you have it because you want the church to continue. But it's a radical application of Jesus' story that is offering us ways to divest from dominant culture, from dominant society, and from dominant business as usual economics. And then use that money for mutuality, for the common, for the common good. Use it for up uplifting each other and having a broader mission. It's a beautiful thing, opportunity that we have. And if you want to learn more about what we're, how we're structuring that and doing that at all, Nadia is your best resource. And she's here, she loves to, to tell you about it and explain how it works. But one thing you should be aware of is sometimes when you get to a certain size, you can assume that things are just gonna roll along. 10% of the money we share in the common fund goes to the mutuality fund, which is a tool for cell leaders to help people out who are in crisis. Now over the last 10 years, we've had a, a buffer in that from old money that we didn't spend. This month, the mutuality fund is at the lowest that it's been in 15 plus years. It got under $500. And that's not necessarily because there's not enough money in it. It's because the cell leaders use it to help people who are in crisis. You know how many people we know who are jammed up? Lots. And you know what we do about it? We redistribute money and tell our leaders, here's this tool, go spend it. They spent it. They want to spend more of it. So I suggest, I implore you, that you see what Jesus is saying here and change the structure of how we do money and put it into relationships. Put it into this, this trust where we don't have to just be alone or don't have to be going along with the dominant story, but we can do something beautiful. Invest in pollinators and forests that your great-grandchildren can enjoy. Not all masters and gods are the Lord God Almighty. And I think we do well to be careful to consider our allegiances, 
and even those economic allegiances that we're asked to make all the time to keep us safe, to keep us contained from that, that outer darkness rather than seeing how God is embracing that space. So for us to ask, who will we obey? Who, who give, has the words of life? Who are we apprentice ourselves to? How, who will we disciple ourselves together into? And Jesus is offering us this way that, that is counterintuitive to our programming. The weeping and gnashing of teeth around here is so easy to find. Did you see the Jeffrey Stockbridge show, Kensington Blues, that just got put up? There's going to be an event here on Friday. One of the most critical, I mean, the, the, this environmental catastrophe that we're living in the middle of is, uh, I think, paramount. If, but if you break it down into people, society, and into this re whole region, one of the places of the most severe pain that is obvious, that has come to the surface, is this opioid crisis. It touches all of us. It touches you, I mean, whether you know somebody who's been affected directly by the addiction or the loss because somebody's addiction, or if you yourself have been a part of it. I know for me, I lost three friends in the last year from heroin in different capacities. Some of them even in different places, but they had been touched in, in Kensington. It's a, it's a full-out crisis. That, recover, that requires us to do something, but it's always going to be talked about by the dominant story, that's the outer darkness. That's where the wish, weeping and gnashing of teeth, that's where people go who made big mistakes. That's where people go who make bad decisions. And Jesus is saying, that's where I live, fam. That's where I've always lived. It's not among the wealthy and the powerful. It's not among, God bless them, the Teslas the private islands, and the mansions. Those places are empty. Those places are empty besides the hope to divest. Get back to what Jesus is offering. It's so much healthier. It's healthier for the earth. It's healthier for all of us to build community and to see the humanity and the, the stuff that God's doing in creative ways. And a lot of the ways we do that is through making partners with organizations, because none of us has what it takes to solve this issue. None of us can. Even if you put the smartest 10 of us in a room, we couldn't figure it out. We need people who don't get the faith component on the team. We need people who don't get the, you know, they don't understand what harm reduction is as a paradigm, as opposed to just saying, blaming people for having an addictive disorder and then blaming just the way we, like we blame poor people for being poor, but, but offering resources that mitigate the damage to communities and to individuals and to put families back together, to humanize people, to see their stories. So even Friday night, I'm hoping that during this panel discussion, I know first Friday might have been more your thing when you were 25. If, and if you are 25, it should be your thing. But this, this is going to be lit here. And you'll meet people from some of these different organizations that we partner with, whether it's Prevention Point or Pathways to Housing, Project Home. I mean, there's so many great organizations in the city that we got to be part of this solution together for community health and more people that will build bridges. Because when we read, when we read this parable by Jesus, we're invited into 
this journey of getting free of this establishment of domination. And when the way that we try to like re reorder our minds and our imaginations and our money, that's part of the fun. And, and we're all invited into that fun, even in new ways this week. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.